Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Elves and kicking things off for us tonight. That is the latest single from The Comet is Coming. Mark your calendar, September 23rd. The album Hyperdimensional Extension Beam comes out on Impulse Records. That was code. And boy, we have a busy show for you tonight. Uh, I taped an interview a little while ago with Julie Durand, who is playing at the Goodwill this Sunday night. Great show. Also features Matt Peters, brought to you by Real Love. And uh, we talked about two records uh, that Julie released over the last year, uh, one of which was nominated for the Polaris Prize. Uh, we get into that in a few minutes. We're going to play a new single from Montreal duo BB Club first called Parasites coming out on Secret City Records. Uh, later on in the show, I talked to two of the members of Winnipeg band Hello Fiasco, who released Find the Shoreline yesterday and are playing the Burt Block Party August 13th. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. <laughs>
All right. Well, coming to the Goodwill, August 7th, Julie Durand back in town with uh, a pair of new records to her name, and she joins us on the phone. How are you doing, Julie? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. Now, I mean, this is billed as a Julie Durand show, but you have two two new records. Like, are you touring both or one? Or, like, what's the kind of, like, purpose yeah, or focus, <laughs> let's say? It's been an interesting summer so far because I am touring the two different projects, Um you know, throughout the summer. And uh, the show at the Goodwill is mostly a, just a Julie Duran. It's mostly to support the new Julie album. But um, in the spring, uh, this record I made uh, with my partner, Danny Placard, We that one came out just called Julie and Danny and um, Julie and Danny. And um, so we, we probably would do a few songs off that, but mostly it'll be like um, songs off the Julie record. I, well, you know what? I don't have anything actually planned that far ahead yet because there's been like I've been doing shows as a duo. I've been doing shows solo. I've been doing shows full band. I've been doing shows full band as Julie and Danny. Doing shows full band as just me. So I actually I kind of probably I'll know better closer to that date. But yeah, I'm sure we'll play a couple songs off of it if it's appropriate, and then um, off that one. But mostly the Julie Duran repertoire, I would think. Was it? Uh, but we'll have those copies with us, though. Like, we'll, oh, awesome! I'm You'll sure have we'll, merch for for yeah. both. Was it mm-hmm. purposeful to release two like in short succession of each other? Like, what was the like? Did it just happen that you and Danny had recorded one record and you had the other record kind of ready to go? Like, how did that kind of come so, about? Yeah. So what? Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> That's okay. So what happened there was, um, we went in the studio for the I Thought of You album, uh, which is the Joe Duran album. Um, we went in the studio for that in February 2020, and it was recorded in a, we did three days uh, with the full bet with Dan Romano and Ian Romano. Well, it took like two days for like the bed, tra- for all the tracks, and then we did, well, he basically did most of the overdubs of all the percussion and, and keyboards and like Boilister, all those things that you hear on the album that are added. Daniel was on fire. He was just like, or uh, he was like very inspired. So, um, we did that in three days, and then I did my vocals over a few days um, in Montreal. And uh, then, so that was all ready to go. It wasn't mixed. And when the pandemic started, we, you know, it was originally supposed to come out in September of 2020. And so I was having, like, we were going to mix it, and I just um, was having a hard time, like, I have a hard time listening to mixes. Like, it's a weird kind of phobia I have. Like, I can't listen to the, I can't listen to mixes. It's like a really weird thing. Unless I, Unless it's pretty much done, and then I can just say, like, tweak this, tweak that. But I find a hard time listening to it. I don't know. It's weird. It's, anyway, so, you know, the person who mixed the album, Kenny Meehan, uh, Kenneth Meehan, um, he had sent me, like, a trial mix, and I didn't really listen to it, even though it, when I finally got around to listening to the first trial of the Gave Me the Key, um, it was amazing. I was, felt so ashamed for having taken so long to listen to that mix. I don't even think I had to change anything. I was like, it's perfect. Mix the rest of the record. is great. Um but like, uh, so we pushed it back and pushed it back as we saw that the pandemic was going on and on. Meanwhile, we had also just recorded the Julie and Danny album in the April of 2020. So when we found ourselves in our first isolation period, we ended up doing a total of seven 14-day isolation periods um, throughout the first year and a half. Uh, because of the nature of like the New Brunswick policies and stuff, and also just because I didn't want to be like if somebody was going to get COVID in Memram Cook, I didn't I didn't want to be the person 
to bring it. So I just felt like I, I was very strict about the 14-day isolation. So we were in our first 14-day isolation, and um, uh, we re- made that record, the Julian Danny record in that one. So, we, yeah. So it wasn't like meant to be an album about the pandemic. It just, we sang more about stuff like, some of the songs are about like, you know, I guess running out of, it was a little bit kind of touching about, you know, what we were living in the pandemic, but it wasn't like focused on the pandemic. But so then what happened was we, we finally decided to put a Julie album. And then I think that because we had waited so long, like for both of them anyway, we we didn't want to wait so long to put out the Julian Danny because I'm already writing new songs and he's already writing. And we're just, so we kind of kept just wanting to keep everything kind of moving forward so that we can keep our creative kind of energy happening. Because I find when you put out an album and then you just sit on it for like two years and you you stop writing and because you're touring that album and I didn't want to wait another two years. So, so yeah. I mean, for me, it felt a little early for when it came out because I was still kind of doing a lot of stuff. I hadn't even done any Julie shows yet. I'd just done three. So in when, when the record came out. So it was like a tiny bit early, but I think the idea was like the label... Uh, who was putting out Julie and Danny kind of wanted to build for us to be able to play festivals in the summer. And they thought it would be easier, but you know, just logistics of like record business stuff, I guess. So, right. so that's kind of why they came out in quick succession because they were recorded two months apart. And then we just felt like we should just keep it going. Cause I already have like eight new songs that I stopped writing in the last few months since we started doing shows. Cause I just started to focus on learning the material for the shows. But um, yeah. So it's kind of just also just, you know, it's like, it's more fun to just keep them coming out. It does cut the life of the previous, like, what happens is if you do put out a lot of records back to back, like it will kind of take attention away from the other ones. And so, but, you know, I think in the long term of my life, like it won't really matter. I was curious because, you know, working with Daniel Romano on, on I thought of you, you know, that's, that's a Daniel Romano thing to like put out like two or three records in in a year. Right. Well, he he kept very, very, he keeps very, very busy. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, it was coincidence that that's what happened with us as well. But um, yeah, I think working with Dan is fun because like he's so inspired and he just keeps, he just, I don't know how his brain works, but it's, it doesn't, like he wasn't the producer of our album or, or my album or anything. We were, we had all decided it would just be, it was like a democratic process where if someone had an idea, what they would suggest it. But it all went so fast, like we didn't even really have time to like lounge around, going, mm, "I wonder if we should try this." Like it just like we did everything. It was so amazing. And then the third day, Daniel was like, wanted to try some overdubs, and honestly, he just kept coming up with idea after idea. Can I go try this? Can I go try that? Can I try? And you know, even though he was, it wasn't his album and he wasn't producing, there was no way I was going to be like, actually, let's sit on that idea. Like. I just wanted to see what, you know, he was inspired and everything he did was amazing. So that's like, I felt really grateful. And uh, I think just the nature of being all together in one space for three days was and then really, uh, uh, it was really conducive to, yeah, just concentrating on on what, what we were there to do and to not being distracted by anything else that- other than the occasional snack. That breakneck speed, was that like by design or was that just happenstance of the fact that you guys were all cooking so quick? I think it was a happenstance thing. Like, I think we we only booked the studio for four days and then like Dan and Ian were going to be going on tour the week after, like they were going to be done. Like after the fourth day, they had like maybe a week, a week before going on tour. So they, they by the, when they were done on the third day, they left in the morning of the fourth day and then I started my vocals. 
um, because they wanted to have a few days at home before their tour started. Sadly, they came home during that tour, but um, uh, I think it was half of the sense. I think it was just the everybody was inspired, and, and I think that the chemistry was there for all of us working together. So, yeah, there was no there was no struggle or labor at all. It was just, it was, I've never made an album that was so easy, actually. <laughs> it's like shockingly easy. But I knew that too because I had worked with Dan before on the Daniel, Fred, and Julie album that came out like years ago that was done in like a day or two, like two days maybe. And it was, it was very, you know, he, he's just like that, I think. Gets a lot of ideas. And, and also Danny, who played bass on it, my dad, like the Julie and Danny, Danny, he, he also produces a lot of albums in Quebec. So, like, ideas were... And so does Ian, honestly. Ian's also an album producer. So, basically, I was making a record with a bunch of producers. So, it was... But nobody was wearing the producer hat in that particular project. So, it worked really well. They don't have the hat, but they all have the brain for... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They all have the brain and the focus and the drive to get things done. But they weren't... Nobody was wearing the particular hat <laughs> on that day. I want to go back to the comment you made about not <laughs> listening to mixes and being uncomfortable oh, listening so to mixes. Hard. Has that like always been the case? I think so. I mean, the, partly why I got Rick White to mix three albums in a row. Well, why, partly why I made three albums in a row with Rick was like my first. So those albums like woke myself up and I can wonder what you did with your day in so many days. They, I really wanted to make them with Rick because I trust him so much. And I just, I don't even have to like, I never would think like, oh, like, I, I don't even, like, basically, I did all those albums, and then when I was done, I just left it with Rick and was like, okay, do whatever you want. And then, like, I would just leave, and then he'd send me the mix, and I didn't have to even, I already knew it was going to be awesome. You know what I mean? So I think that partly when I was, I get, well, let me, you know, maybe in the past I wasn't like that. I think that maybe later in life I did get a little bit more, nervous about listening to the mixes because part of what would happen was like if I would be in the mixing room and people start doing the mix I have this tendency to think that this has amazing be the rough mixes I'm like I love rough mixes like when I hear a rough mix it sounds perfect like I don't even want to change it like I don't even I find our intuition is always great like when when because when you're recording you keep everything at a certain level you like you when you make your rough mix it's very intuitive and I always find it's like perfect and then you then when you when possibly when the process of mixing begins then all these other things are happening and processing different sounds and then like just you taking more time and I find that making that final decision of being like okay it's done it's this is it like I, I find it really difficult to make the decisions and I also get scared to listen because what will happen is if, like I was going about to say, like when I'm in the mixing room, for example, like I can't be in the mixing room, but if I'm there, because I always find it sounds perfect right at the beginning, as soon as they start, they're like, well, we haven't done anything yet. It's like, okay, but that sounds great. And then, so then they start doing the stuff and I'm like, oh, and then I start to like panic and I'm like, but can you take it back to that same feeling that you had? Like, so I can't be in the room and I don't have the language to be able to say like, oh, can you like make it like, like now I finally know what a DB is, but like I had to learn that, like my boyfriend taught me that with, because when I was listening, I was like, like he taught me like how, maybe I want to make an adjustment of one dB of the vocals, or you know what I mean. But that's like the, the limit of my right. language of music uh, sounds. So I think that's partly why I find it stressful. I also just always found going in the studio previously a little bit stressful because 
I have a hard time with like commitment. And so I think that the idea that those are the definitive versions of the, that song that everyone's going to hear um, always made me a little nervous, which is why I really love playing live. Because when I'm live, it's like, well, that's the version of that night. And it doesn't have to be like that tomorrow. It doesn't have to be that. And it wasn't like that last week, you know? I mean, even I might play them the same sometimes, but like, I don't have to. And so that's, I think I love that freedom and flexibility of like the live performance for that reason. Um, Is that why maybe the rough mix? Pardon me? Is that why maybe the rough mix appeals to you? Because it's the immediacy of it? Like it's more like a live thing? I, that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that 100% that would be why. I think that's why. And also, like, you know why I like the rough mix is because it's not the final mix. So I'm not scared that, you know, I don't panic thinking like, oh, well, I don't like it this way because I know it's not going to stay like that. So I enjoy listening to it because I know it's not the final mix. You know what I mean? So I think that's also part of it. Like, I don't know. It's it's weird. But I, I would say the last like few albums I've made, for sure, I've been very happy with mixes and I've never had to... Like, you know, and in fact, I like all, there's maybe a few mixes I would change if I could go back in time and be like, I would make things more present or more obvious or more like in your face kind of about some of my records. But, um, but at the time, that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted things to be quiet and illegible, like, um, and inaudible. And so <laughs> I'm talking like 20 years ago when I was making really quiet records post Eric Strip, you know, like I wanted it to be really different. So, but, um, I guess I don't regret anything that I've done but I I do find it a little bit scary to just make that final call on mixes and I think that's the thing the immediacy of the rough mix is maybe what I like yeah so in an idea not to say that I love the mix of everything that came out recently so like I don't I don't even of all this stuff actually like you know in the last whatever I don't know how many years I don't want to get too specific I don't want to go back and like think of any specific mix that I don't like I think I like them all I just find it scary I just had like a bad experience one time in a studio with someone that I was working with because of a, like a grant kind of situation a long time ago. And the mixing, I was there to do the mixes with them and it didn't start off well and it was really intimidating and it was not fun. And then he sent me off to like sit in another room so that, I, oh. so that, and then he would, they would call me in to like, um, you know, check the final one. So but that was a long time ago, and I found out that maybe maybe that's what made me stressed the first time. I don't know. Right. But that's not no one that any of us know of. It's like an experience I had that was like not repeated. In an ideal world, would you just play live, like because of the stress of like locking in a song on a record? Like, do you like if you could just you know mm-hmm. if people would go see Julie Durand without knowing oh this is the record she's touring? It's just Julie Durand. I do love that idea. I love um, I love the sort of the romantic idea of like just being a sort of a tri- like just traveling and playing um, and having that live experience. But I think the reality, well, yeah. So I mean, that's why I love touring, actually. So, but I think the reality is that I do have to make for me to like live off being able to do music, or you know what? Maybe I could just. I mean, I didn't make a, a solo album for like nine years, so that's partly what I was doing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. yeah, I made the Julie and the Wrong Guys album, but that was like, I didn't really, I wasn't really part of the, again, the mixing. <laughs> like, I wasn't like the one kind of managing the project, and it was so easier hands off for me. And we co-wrote it, and so like, um, but yeah, I think that 
I ha- I think that is partly why I was not making records because I just wanted to like not have to write and not have to. I just wanted to play the songs and they kind of took on new life and and uh, yeah, I really love playing live. I don't know why. I talked about it with my therapist as well, and, and we can come back to that versus making an album. And to be like, and just to be clear, like I love the last all the last few albums that I've put out like in the last fifteen. Well, all of them actually. They all have their like. I I don't I don't. Yeah, but and and those last few experiences were really really easy. Like I like I said, because of the musicians who played on them, it was so wonderful. And everything, all the projects I've been lucky enough to be with, it's been really painless. Like that's the thing that's so weird. I honestly think that my phobia of mixes just came from that one time in the studio, like I don't know how many years ago, and where it was like I was on my own with the person doing the mix, and I was just like young and and insecure and not. I didn't have like the, the the confidence, you know, to right. to stand by what I wanted, and also I didn't know, and I tend to get stressed out like when things are changing, and I don't feel like I have any control over it. So, so I think that has kind of tarnished my idea of like being part of mix. But um, I was going to say something, and I lost my train of thought. That's okay. Well, I did want to pull out oh, one thing that you said. Oh, your therapist, because oh, I, I was going to say I've, I've got a mental health comment, and it's it's about one negative experience can like i think it takes like nine positive experiences to offset one negative experience like well there you go it's probably i don't know how many albums came out after but yeah um oh yeah that does not surprise me for sure that for sure i mean we spend most of our lives like beating well i beat myself up in my head a lot over and who knows where that came from you know and and there's no reason to do that that doesn't have any benefit you know but it's just so i guess what i was gonna say was i was talking to my therapist about I don't remember why we got to that, but I think partly why I love playing live too. And I'm not like a super skilled musician. I can't just get up there and jam and like my fingers don't just go wherever I want them to go in my head, you know, like I have, <laughs> but I think partly like why I love it so much is that I can, especially when I close my eyes, I just kind of, I get to go into the song and I get to just have those three minutes per song or whatever. I get to have that hour on stage where I don't have to, I don't have to go do the laundry. I don't have to answer an email. I don't have like to go make supper and I don't have, and I have that hour or 75 minutes where I actually get to just do what I need to do and be like, and no one can like stop me. (laughs) It's like, you know what I mean? Like, and nor will I be distracted by my own busy mind too. That's like, okay, shoot, you didn't answer that text. And you didn't, and then you start like, you don't, you walk away from like you sit down to play guitar for two minutes. You walk away and you do this. So I think partly why I like performing live, I should say, not playing live, but performing uh, on a stage where people are there to watch and listen, is that I I get to do that and and no one can stop me from doing it and I don't get taken out of that moment for like the whole time I'm on stage and and it gives me time. Part of the other thing, what I learned with my therapist, because I think part of why I I talk so fast in life is. It's like maybe I've always felt like I wasn't really allowed to take up that space, like I to take the time to say what my thought was. or So I find myself like speaking really fast because I felt like I'm already taking up too much space. So like, so when I'm on stage that I'm actually being paid to play those songs, like sometimes I rush them still and I have to remind myself like, wait, no, you get to do this. This is what you're here for. And so like it's taking me a long time to learn that and to, to realize that that I'm on stage for 60 minutes. Those are the 60 minutes that I, you know, I get to do that and, and just enjoy it. And so I'm actually there in my life. And I think part of not doing it for two years, like 
well, I did some shows throughout the because there were some times when things opened up and some outdoor shows. But I think that really made me appreciate even more getting to do this, you know. And I did some touring in the spring, and the audience was so so appreciative. Like everyone is so happy to be at a show. I mean, there are people still really nervous about it, and people who are like going out for the first time and. And it's really kind of awkward and strange, but it's really nice to feel energy of people in a room. Like everyone feels it and it's really nice. And maybe we didn't notice it as much before because we weren't looking for it. We didn't, we didn't notice it was there, but we felt it, but we didn't really maybe know. But now I find I really feel the energy of the people. Right. You mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, not having to do the dishes or the laundry <laughs> or make supper. It sounds like when you're on stage, like maybe... It's the one time where you get to make demands on others versus everyone else's demands on you. Yeah, it's like the one time where I feel like I'm allowed to be doing something. That it's like give, like that give I me do. your attention. That's what you're here for me. Yeah, and you know, but the thing is, like, so and I also talked about this with my therapist a few years ago. It was like, like I don't think, like I don't even do music. Like, I honestly don't believe it's an ego thing. Like, I don't think I do music just so people can tell me they like it or that they like me or whatever. Because I actually feel very, very shy and awkward when people tell me they really love what I do or when they... I appreciate it and I've learned how to take the compliment and, and, and I appreciate that people want to, to share that they love something that someone does. But when people, like... Like, it took me a long time to believe that people actually... When they say they they like me or that they, you know, love what I'm doing or whatever. I found like, I just used to feel like, oh, you don't have to say that. Like, don't, you don't have to say it. It's okay. Like I would feel really, and maybe I just, you know, those are other reasons that I have to work through. But, um, but I don't, so yeah, I don't think I do music. Cause a lot of people love the attention and they want to get on stage cause they like, they need people to like love what they do. And, and that's okay too. I mean, we all have like, we're all, but, that's not necessarily, I don't think, what drives me to do the shows. I really love playing music, but I never have time to actually do it at home. Like, I don't get to take an hour in the morning and just play the songs because I love playing music. It's like, I, I don't know where the time goes, but I never get time. I never get to, ever. I don't understand. Your even parents. when my daughter's in school. Like, even when my kids are at school, I still don't pull it off. I have no idea why. That's that's the miracle of parenthood. It just is like... <laughs> It's like, but I put everything else first before getting to practice for an hour. So now my little goals are like, okay, today you're going to do 10 minutes of guitar, and I've started practicing drums again, so I'm doing like 45 minutes a day. And but I, but only like when I have to, when I can. Like I was doing when I have a show coming up, I practice the drums for I have specific songs that I practice, and so I've actually been pulling that off. But then like I just spent three weeks not practicing. You know what I mean? Like because I was going to the beach, I was like doing like stuff with my family, and it's just like so. Which sounds like a complaint, but I don't mean to sound like that. Like, obviously, I'm happy to be at the beach. Like, it sounds like I'm such a jerk. But, um, but yeah, no, my, but because my actual job that pays my bills is performing and playing, making music, I really need to make sure that I actually do it. And the only way that I actually ever really got to do it was through touring, just through playing every day for an hour and a half on stage, really makes you a better musician as well. So, like, even though I'd go home and then I'd be a mom again and I'd be a mom while I was on tour, but like, I mean, a mom taking care of the family where, where I, you know, I was making sure the house was tidy and doing the dishes and making lunches and making, you know, supper or making whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to exercise. Cause if I go like a week without exercising, I 
I get super, super, super down. Like I go, I get into really, really down place. And now I'm on like week three of not exercising. So I actually did exercises today um, for the first time in a long time. It took me like 45 minutes to do a 30 minute workout. It was like, although I have taken sometimes hour to do like a 30 minute workout. It's okay. Cause I'm just tired and I'm 50 now and it takes more time. That's okay. I'm okay with it. One of the things I've learned in the last year is like to just be chill and just accept whatever it is. Like I'm okay. Right. It's okay. But I will say that like I used to put everything before practicing and now I'm actually making time to practice. Even if it's like five minutes of guitar at a time. And what I've been doing to practice guitar lately is trying to learn just different. Like now I'm just, I learn other people's songs as a challenge. So like instead of practicing my own and that actually makes me become a better guitar player because I, you know, I'm forced to do more bar chords and things like that. So, so that's, uh, that's my new challenge and new way to do it. I just like think of something and then I listen to it once and then like I try to learn it. But, um, does does that help you just from a technical aspect or Mm -hmm. do you find like creatively, like learning other people's songs maybe opens you up about your own songs? I think so. Um, oftentimes when I'm in writing mode, I, I don't want to listen to other songs because I don't want to end up accidentally writing someone else's song subconsciously. So usually I don't listen to a lot of music when I'm writing, but um, I think that for sure it must help. Like I think it opens up maybe parts in, like it would, I think just through the nature of like learning other songs in, in positions that maybe I wouldn't normally use on the guitar would help me just be like explore the other parts of the guitar. And I think it would incur, like inspire like probably songwriting for sure. But I, it, I haven't really thought about it like deeply. So right. but I would say yes. I would say that it probably does. Right. <laughs> Speaking of songwriting, I read an interview you did with the Aquarium Drunkard, I guess around the time I thought of you came out. And you talked about, you know, not writing for a while when, when your youngest was born. Uh, mm-hmm. because writing always compels you to make a record, which compels you to hit the road. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, in the past, that's what always was my, and I had three kids previously to Elsie, so I, I, yeah, so what was your, yeah, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. Uh, just confirming that that was kind of your sentiment, but um, no, rather, because you talked about writing now, you've written like eight more songs, like, so, like, are you kind of back on that compulsion train, or like, how do you kind of balance that with, kind of the, the, yeah. the responsibilities and, and roles you play outside of performer. Yeah, so now I'm just writing because I'm enjoying writing and I just want to, now I'm like, I'm in the place where I'm like, I'm okay with, so like I think it'd be fun to make more records and just, I don't want to necessarily do like the traditional, like put a record out, wait two years, put another record out, put it like, now I just kind of want to keep writing when, when I feel like writing and maybe don't write when I don't feel like writing and then just, I'm not as concerned with like, okay, now this album is going to come out. I'm going to have to go do like two months in Europe and like a month in Canada and and five weeks. And stuff. Like I don't, I'm not thinking in that way anymore because the pandemic really did change my whole way of approaching like making music and living off music. Cause you know, we weren't able to do touring the way we used to. And, and to be honest, like I'm not in a hurry to hop in a van for like four weeks because the logistics of like, you know, getting COVID in the middle of the country, like while you're, you know, it's just like, you don't want to, so like I, I'm approaching it just like kind of show by show, like we're doing this West Coast thing. It'll be like, I think we're taking some airplanes, so hopefully nothing will get, well, we are doing it kind of by flying um, because of I just the way things are right now because of the, I don't know, the van was too expensive to rent or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, 
Anyway, yeah, I'm not thinking of it as like, okay, we got to do the same route, the formula that we used to do in the past. And, and, and I'm not like in a hurry to go tour. Like I went to Spain in the spring and, and everything went great. But like, honestly, like I, I kind of don't want, I don't feel like leaving. I don't feel like going very far right now for a while. So I'm, I'm just going to keep maybe making records and, and cause that is what kind of what, what I live. That is kind of how I live. So I kind of have to just, if I want to make more records, I'm not going to just hold off just because of, touring possibilities and I don't think I want to go away as much on crazy tours like I used to when I was younger I, I don't want that anymore so I'm more specific or more selective maybe about about my touring schedule so but I also spent like mostly two years at home so maybe that's partly why I'm okay with like sure the idea of like putting out some more albums and not necessarily waiting and and then doing more shows. And the fact that, like, you know, we put these two records out back-to-back, and I'm touring all summer for the Julie and Danny Project, and also Julie Duran Project, and then Julie Solo, and then Julie Full Band, and Julie and Danny. Like, so it's, it's like, there's so all those shows kind of all over the place in different formats, so it's not like, and it's like on weekends, like I'm doing a lot of weekend touring, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before I let you go, Julie, I want to get you to pick a song, and I guess since you got two records, it can be off of either of them. If you want to pick mm. a song off of one of them that we can play for listeners, and if you have a reason why you're picking it or an anecdote about the song, I'd love to hear that. Well, I I, I love, I love, um, I obviously, okay, so I love, I thought of you, the whole album, it makes me really happy. Um, I also love the Julian Danny record. I have a feeling maybe less people have heard it in other parts of Canada than the other record. So one of the songs, the anecdote, so when we were making the Julian Danny record, like, we were very, like, Danny would get up in the morning, you know, make coffee, and then he'd sit at the computer, and he would listen to back to what we did the night before, or maybe he would open a new track or whatever. And at one point, he asked me if I had anything. Like, we had done a bunch of recording, and he was like, do you have any new ideas, or do you want anything? And I was like, well, I was looking, listening to my phone through voice, voice memos, and I said, I found this one thing that I had, like, written, like, right out, shortly after he and I had met, and, um, but I, I had forgotten about it, and it felt too, it was very, very literal and very, like, intimate. And I just felt like it was too open and honest and literal for, to make it, so I had kind of forgotten about it. And then so he asked me, and I was like, well, I have this thing, and I played it for him, and and it was kind of awkward for him, too, because it was about, the like, the first time we hung out. So, so we recorded it just like that, as is, like, the lyrics that I had wrote all in one shot without even really thinking about it, and... uh and so on this song, I do the I I did the guitar with a, like a, I never play ever ever use a click track. I did it for one album, um, and I, it was uh, because we were going to be doing a bunch of like electronica sort of overdubbing on Désormais. But I I never used like click tracks, and so we, he was like because I was going to play the drums on it too, and so he we felt it easier if I sync up the drums if we do this click track. So I started I did the guitar with click track. And then I did the drums. So I actually did like pretty much all the instruments and the lead guitar. And I think the only thing I didn't play on that song was the the bass. Danny did the bass and he might have done maybe a one guitar overdub like as a harmony with my guitar, but I can't even remember. So yeah, I would say Jean Tato Market, it would be a fun song to listen to that is that would be on the Julie and Danny album that would I would have gladly actually put on my album, but I had completely forgotten that I'd written it. So um yeah, so it ended up on the Julian Danny album. <laughs> but I had go. written it, like I had the song 
written before I went in the studio for my album, so I just didn't even find it in my voice memos. One of the one of the lost songs that was recovered then. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give that one a listen. Uh, Julie, thanks very much for taking some time out of your day and looking forward to seeing you August 7th at the Goodwill. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm really excited to be there. I, I, uh, I'm i really excited for all these shows out west. I think it's going to be really, really nice. Uh, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. So thank you. I can't wait to see you all there at the Goodwill, for sure. I sent you a late night message Asking if you want to meet up in the morning Maybe we could get a coffee Maybe we could walk around the market Maybe it will be a beautiful morning Maybe I can ask you your last name I mean like I can really ask you Ask you your real last
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, you just heard Colin Cameron with Sweet Relief off of the album Freehand that came out today. Cameron, perhaps best known for being a member of the band Wake Owl prior to this solo record. Uh, Coming up next, KHS, the new single from Night Cruise LA Duo. And then we've got my interview with two of the members of Hello Fiasco, Winnipeg band, who will be playing at the Burt Block Party on August 13th. And, uh, well, we'll get into that in a few minutes, but first KHS here on 101.5 UMFM.
All right. Well, they are playing the Burt Block Party. August 13th, Hello Fiasco uh, joins us to uh, to talk about the new record, to talk about playing with the Watchmen and, and some other stuff. Uh, Joel Couture and Eric Labossier. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello. Uh, so this is, a, this is a new group, but not necessarily new musicians in the, uh, the Winnipeg scene. You know, the Mailman's Children, uh, years ago, I remember receiving some CDs from, from that band here at the station. And I, I know that obviously uh, there's been a lot going on in the, in the ensuing years. But when did Hello Fiasco kind of like start kind of coalescing as, as, a, as a new music concern for you guys? Well, in uh, the the band is actually a little bit still the Mailman's Children. Joe uh, Joel Couture, which is uh, Fash, as people know him, and uh, Joel Pedro, which is P, um, and myself, Eric, we all uh, used to play the Millman's Children for several years and um, recorded four albums, believe it or not. And kind of at the tail end of that, in 2015, we decided that we wanted to definitely make a change. We wanted to do more touring and, and uh, hit a broader scope or wider scope of around the world in terms of our music and write better stuff and produce it much better. So we made, we made some changes. And one of those changes was adding a couple of new guys to the roster. One we had played with before, Ivan Burke. Uh, Joe and Joe knew him really well from the scene. So he came in to record on the last record the Mailman's Children did. And because we loved what he did, we decided to get him to come and start recording new songs, which we didn't have a name for that band yet. And then uh, Guy Abraham from the scene, who's um, lead singer over the years from Velvet Pill, Peel, um, Mission Light, all these great bands. He wanted to change his role a bit and kind of diversify, play piano, do Ableton and also sing still, which he sings in our new band. And so he joined us. And long story short. We became Hello Fiasco by recording 23 songs in secret in the studio with John Paul Peters, a private ear, and kind of things evolved. And then in 2020, we knew we had a record. 2021, we officially announced our name when we trademarked it, which is uh, Hello Fiasco. So here we are. We've now got a 12-song record out of that. So the, the genesis is the tail end of the Mailman's Children. What was it that you weren't doing under that band name that you feel like kind of necessitated? a rebrand or a, you know, a new, new approach. Yeah. I think Joel can answer that the best. Yeah. I think, um, I think part of, part of what we've all lived as musicians or industry people the last years, um, you know, brings us to, you know, we meet new people, new collaborations. I think there's, there's sort of a refocus on what, what the goal might be. Of course, the goal is always to, to follow that that passion and, and keep creating music. I think that's what, you know, keeps artists healthy and and moving forward. But I yeah, I, I think we felt like we would make we would make a push uh, in in creating a new batch of songs with with new, you know, new collaborators in and out of the band, um, to have a product that that perhaps uh, could could reach a you know a larger audience, whether recorded or or live or again collaborations with things like or people like animators to make you know cool videos so i think the there was just a an opportunity to restart um sort of fresh with with new people and and create some yeah have a new energy moving forward i think by 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 doing something like rebranding if you will changing a name and 
and freshening things up. I think it gives everybody a bit of a, a new energy to, to, to share some new stuff. So I think a lot of that, you know, the passion, the passion never goes away. So whether it's, um, it's the mailman's children or, or the years of, of touring or being on the industry side of, of music. I think it's, it's just that drive to keep, to keep sharing new fresh stuff. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's, I don't know. So some continues and then some new energy comes in and it's just a, it's just a rolling, it's just a, a rolling roller coaster. <laughs> a rolling roller coaster. <laughs> now, Eric, you mentioned you guys wrote like 23 songs. That's obviously not what ended up on the record. How did you guys kind of go about sifting through and figuring out what the record was? Was that something that John Peters uh, helped kind of assess or? Yeah, actually he did. Absolutely. But um, it's kind of funny doing an interview and, and, and now, you know, as we get a little bit more old and compared to when we were younger and if I would have done an interview with you in the past, I would have answered this question differently. But the truth is that we, uh, like Joel said, we wanted to make some changes. And one of those was that we were going to write songs that were not just for us anymore, not just more on the progressive side and the further side of pop rock or rock. And we wanted to kind of play the middle and write what we liked, but then also write what the listener liked. So we had a 50-50 role going into John Paul Peters and John Paul Peters was highly on board with that because he had worked with us before. And he also loved the idea of, hey, let's get you know the music recognized on a bigger stage. So when we had 23 songs, we decided to do what most bands will never do which is we used a lot of the labels systems and we pulled our music around the world to see if, Hey, are we in a place where we love this, but people still love it as well. And how's it going to be received? And so, yeah, we, uh, we played the system a bit and had some fun and pulled um, all 23 songs around the world over a couple of years and made sure that we absolutely loved what we were writing, made sure that we love the mixes and love the product that John Paul Peters is making with us. But we, we kind of knew going in on this record, we had eight songs that rated, single status not that numbers matter but we had eight songs that scored uh you know 66 out of 85 possible points in in six countries um including the uk and uh, england ireland australia new zealand us and canada so we knew going in that we had a good product and uh that's how we picked the 12 songs there's no hiding that so we love we love what the record came out of we love it and the people love it so that's great for us so that decision to kind of steer into i guess like what other people like and not just what you like uh was that like a a psychological barrier for at first for for you guys like having kind of you know like you said released four records that you were all happy with regardless of what anyone else thought like was that uh, a difficult decision well i have my perspective but i think joel's (laughs) is the best (laughs) well i think there's I think that the barrier exists. Um, I think growing up listening to, you know, pop, pop music or pop rock music, there's elements that you've, that you hear and you go, man, that's catchy. And, 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 uh, and I think, I think it's, uh, you know, once you sort of perhaps if, if there is that barrier and there, there's a level of discomfort going yeah you know are we who are we crafting the song for but at the end of the day those those catchy little things that that people that people like and that we like as well uh is sort of a fun it's a it's a fun 
it's a fun part of the process to, to sort of evaluate these things. And I think, like Eric mentioned, that, you know, at, at the base of it all, uh, you know, we still, we still love these songs. So it, it's a cool process to, to work with songs we love, but then also go, hey, are people feeling the same? You know, should this, should this chorus be here instead? Is this, you know, is this the, the um, you know, the, the better way to go? Because let's be honest, I mean, if, if anybody wants to make uh, so, some money in the industry, we have to factor in things like, you know, what's going to stream, what's going to be added to satellite playlists, mm -hmm. what will, and, and that's, you know, we're not, I think it's part, it's part of the process and, and it's understanding the industry. So I think it's, I think it's a, it's an intelligent move to sort of consider all that stuff because, uh, because hopefully some, some, some artists, some musicians, uh, songwriters are making money um, and, and living, uh, doing, doing so. So I think, I think for, for me, it was, it was sort of a, it's a fun exercise to see uh, how it all comes together. But, but uh, yeah. <laughs> when we were kids, we used to say, we'd listen to a pop rock song and be like, well, that's amazing, but it's catchy like a disease. So I'm not going to be caught dead writing that song myself, mm. which was naive thinking when we were kids. Right. But as we get older, we start to realize, well, that's actually what we need to do because that's what we grew up loving and that's what people love. So we, we, uh, there were a lot of barriers to answer your question and there was a lot of resistance and a lot of evil meetings in 2016 that didn't go well. But in the end, within a couple of years, all of us saw the results of what we were doing. And um, we absolutely love the record now, all of us. And, you know, if you would have asked us that a few years ago when we started working on it, that was not the case to answer your question. It's pretty crazy. So I know you'd worked with John Paul Peters in the past. Randy Merrill, who did the mastering on this, had you worked with him before? No, we got it. We got extremely lucky. Um, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of people that will be listening to this. They'll be like, well, who the heck is John Paul Peters? But the guy is known all over Canada, all over the U S all over the world. You know, he's worked with propaganda, comeback kid, cancer bats. He got to mix a song for Fauzia before she became highly successful. And so what's happened is that John Paul Peters knows all these people all over that you just don't know. He knows. And one day when we were mastering the record, we said, well, Eric, if you guys are going to put down money on this and you know you have the product to do, and we know we have the product we do, I'm going to ask uh, Sterling Sound to, to master the record. And I'm like, well, who do you know there? And he's like, well, I've mastered there a few times, but there's this guy kind of at the top. And I looked at who it was and I'm like, oh my God, the guys worked with everybody, won Grammys and the whole deal. I'm like, well, I don't think we can get this guy. So JP actually sent them an email and said, Hello Fiasco, new pop rock band on the rise would like to have a record mastered by Randy Merrill, which a lot of people would be like, is a crazy request after who we just mastered. Mm -hmm. And they accepted us. We could not believe it. And, you know, yeah, we paid top dollar, but what a product. And people are like, I can't believe this master. So we got very lucky, very fortunate. John Paul Peters arranged that and deserves all the credit for that. It's amazing. So it wasn't something like where you'd seen his credits and were like, we need to get him because of this specific record. It was more John Paul was like, hey, yeah, John Paul knew his track record. He had researched John Paul's funny. He had re he had researched every guy that works for Sterling in New York and down south. And he said, this is our guy. Eric. And so he goes, we're going to go for him. And if we don't get him, we get somebody else. But, um, you know, JP and I have kind of changed everything. We go after the contacts we want. We go after the things we want. And that's one example of you don't, you don't get what you don't ask for. And now we can have Randy Merrill stamped on a record and have a great product because of it. Right. Now, Joel, you had mentioned that, uh, you know, the streaming, obviously this record got released in the spring already on, on, on streaming the decision to kind of like 
release a record and then release a record is that just kind of the the vagaries of the record industry right now yeah that's a good question i mean the what what's cool about because eric and i uh co-manage this thing so we get to make all the decisions there's no we we're fortunate to have uh, many people around the sounding boards and and we can have uh, consultations with a lot of people, uh, but at the end of the day, we can we can sort of make a decision and, and then and then roll with it. Now, yeah, there's some some technicalities around around you know <laughs> how, how how some decisions are made. Um, Eric, I don't want to I don't want to tell too many secrets here, but yeah, uh, you can. But it's but es- but essentially, we. <laughs> We, yeah, we, we were in the, in the process of, of having everything uh, live and accessible online. And we just sort of waiting for, for all, for all, for all that, um, for everything, for, for everything to be, to be set up as it should. Um, you know, we ended up having songs on some platforms and, and, and songs that were not yet available on some. So we, we were fortunate to get some traction on some platforms before we were sort of able to announce the official release because because the songs weren't available everywhere yet so what's cool is that it it it, it in a sense worked in our in our favor because we were able to get that to get that early traction before sharing the news that that all the songs were out uh, available uh, everywhere so what's again going back to what's cool about about managing this thing ourselves is that we can roll with the punches quite easily and then figure out strategies as as we need to uh, as stuff happens so the the industry is a little bit unfair in the respect that if you're not a big act when you release something they don't release it to all platforms on the same day it kind of drives us all nuts in the industry and so we we knew that spotify was going to have it on may may something and so they ended up putting it up may 5 which we didn't uh you know which we're like great so it went up on Spotify first, where we now have 1.2 million plays as of today, which is pretty exciting for an unknown band. And then other platforms like Apple, it only went up a few days ago. So um, after we were told that would be earlier. So it's a little bit tricky when you're not a, on a big label and starting out. So we knew this was going to happen. And that's why we decided that our release date was going to be August 4. But we're very excited that we can say, hey, our record's at this before <laughs> release day. So official release is August 4. But on paper, a few platforms got it May 5. So that's the deal. And at the very least, it's out before you play the Burt Block Party. Yeah, that's a big one. We uh, we we thought about that. <laughs> so, how did that one come about, Joel? <laughs> well, again, I mean, the, the 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 people in any profession, you know, as you go along in in life, you you make a lot of connections and you you meet a lot of people and establishing and maintaining good relationships. Um, you know, means that opportunities come up and, and, um, and, you know, having a new product and we're, you know, we, we had done, um, I think we had done uh, a good job promoting our last uh, Festivals Voyageur show. That was our first official release show with this band and, and that, and that had gone well. And I think, um, uh, yeah, our pals at, at, uh, at the Bird at True North perhaps saw that, you know, the momentum already and said hey we can uh we can get you guys on on a bill if you want do you you like these bands and we're like heck yeah we like these bands these are bands that you know we've looked up looked up to for a long time so 
So I think, uh, you know, the, the key was, uh, and Eric mentioned it, the key is, is sort of uh, knowing what you want to go for, going for it. And then, uh, and then because of those maintained relationships, uh, it all works. And I think it was also, you know, musically, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun mix. There's probably, you know, if we asked the, 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 the folks in the band, there's, there's influences from those, those three bands in our music. Um, Absolutely. I know that Eric's been, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll Eric, I'll, I'll pass over the baton, but yeah, but very exciting. Neil Cameron too, as well. Um, that a lot of people know he's the sound person and a big managing part of the Watchmen. And he had worked at private ear. He, he was the one who started private ear with John Paul Peters and Neil had been watching our progress the last few years. And one day he called us and said, Hey, I'd like to, offer services and help in different areas because I like what you guys are doing. And we were very fortunate, again, you know, asking for something that you didn't think you'd get. But we asked Neil if he would do sound for us the next while. And now he's on board and he's doing our sound. He did our last show and he's doing the Watchmen show. So it's pretty cool that we have, uh, you know, a band that we highly respect, like the Watchmen. And now we have their sound person doing our sound at this Burt Block party as well and working with us for the future. So it's all about contacts and networking and and having some breaks once in a while right on uh so the burt block party is august 13th um and then i I'm anticipate you guys now that the records out have some plans to tour but that's kind of still in the works as as i understand it in the works right now we're working on booking agencies um we've had a couple offers but we're it's very particular what we want to try to pull off just because i live in the u.s now and the band's Canadian American. I have to travel back and forth. So between visas and carnets and stuff, we're working on Canadian shows for early 2023. We're working on European shows for a little bit more into 2023. So it takes the right booking agents. That's what we're working on. The next few months, we're just doing a lot of PR interviews uh, and release stuff. And then we're going to be doing a lot of touring. So that's where we're at. Before I let you guys go, I always uh, ask the artist to pick a track off of the record since there's two of you. you each get to pick a track off of the record that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote, but love to hear that. <laughs> Who goes first, go? Eric? Uh, you go first, Joel. I well, know what I want to pick. What if we, what if we pick the same one? That's going to be, that's yeah, going to uh, be interesting. You go, go for it. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go hold me close. Not, not only because, uh, because I get to star in the music video with, uh, with our good pal, Sheena. Um, I think it's a, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a song we had a lot of fun uh, recording uh, that we have a lot of fun playing, but, but doing the video was super fun. And it is the song that we're, you know, that we've been sharing uh, around uh, first ish, but yeah, there's, it's just a lot of fun and, and a lot of good, good, uh, good vibes around recording it, doing the video working with um with our pals joey and, and al and nick and just just a lot of goodness around that track so that's my pick hold me close for me it's uh the the track i want to pick is uh before time leaves you track number three on the record and uh the whole record you know the whole theme of find the shoreline and the album title is is about us um all you know being lost in the ocean at points and trying to find ourselves and get to the shoreline and get to the other side like we can all relate to in life and so the song before time leaves you really represents that and really represents the record because as a band when COVID hit we were you know almost at the 80 percent mark of having the record done and then all of a sudden we have to record this track in two 
countries and before time leaves you represents the whole deal i had to record the beds in my parts in montana we emailed it over to canada the guys recorded without me we had two different producers two different setups two different countries and there was a lot of struggles but in the end that song turned out and the world loves it and we're very excited about it so that kind of that one to me has a lot of emotion and also talks about doing the things you love to do which is music and so um yeah that's the song for me before time leaves you all right, well, we'll give those two a listen. Uh, August 13th, Burt Block Party. Hello, Fiasco, Joel, and Eric. Thanks very much for taking some time to talk about the record, and congrats on its release. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Michael. Take your time Lay 
on your back and watch the sky every night. Step outside to kiss the stars and take goodbye. Make memories before you can't make them now. It's not advice. I'm not trying to be nice. I just know it's time to make it right. Make memories before you can't make them no more. Time escapes you before time leaves you.
Baltimore band Tomato Flower with a new song called Taking My Time from their album Construction. That's an EP, rather. Before that, Hello Fiasco with Before Time Leaves You and Hold Me Close. Choices from Joel and Eric. My thanks to both of them for joining. My thanks also to Julie Durant for her time. Uh, don't forget Julie Durant playing at the Goodwill on Sunday night. Going to leave you with one more track before we hand things over to After 8 Radio. This is Say She She's latest single uh, coming out on Coal Mine Records, one of my favorite labels. Uh, full length still to come, but uh, boy, getting more and more eager after the singles that we've played here on the show. Keep it locked, 101.5 UMFM. Thank you. 